This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're in good company would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders past and present and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your In Good Company, an investing podcast striving to disrupt the norms in the finance industry. I'm Maddie and as always I'm in some very good company with my co-host Sophie. Hello Maddie. Coming up today we have our second episode on cryptocurrencies and we are going to be talking about the use cases, both positive and negative. As well as whether it is a viable long-term investment. But... First, Maddie, I've got a joke for you. All right, hit me. <laughs> so there's this new cryptocurrency called Decibel, right? Okay. <laughs> and you just yell into your microphone to get money. Yep, okay. <laughs> like, how good would that be? And you know what it is? What? It's a sound investment. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well done. So glad I can make you laugh. <laughs> it's so great. Well, before <laughs> we get into today's episode, let's hear from a YJC community member. Show me the money, honey. My name is Elle. I'm 22 years old. Um, I work as an accountant, roughly earning about 4200 a month, give or take. Um, each week, I put in about $30 into raise with a moderate risk portfolio. Um, I also buy random shares. I bought maybe two shares in total, about $500 each share. Um, just when I'm feeling in the moment, I don't really have any sort of game plan with that. Just the regular investment of $30 each month, old F45 stocks when they went public and looking to get some more Australian holdings, um, total value of my portfolio. I don't really check it too often, but I think it's above somewhere above 1.2 at the moment i've only started investing since the middle of the year um and yeah it's been great listening to the podcast because it's inspired me to get on to all these sort of opportunities so great to hear each week from our ygc community facebook members if you want to get involved make sure you join our facebook group at so <laughs> ygc investing podcast discussion group just before we jump into the episode today, we wanted to define one term for you. Ooh, what's that? And that is the metaverse. We talk about the metaverse a little bit. And all it is, even though it's very hard to get your head around, <laughs> is a digital reality that combines aspects of our social media, online gaming, augmented reality, and cryptocurrencies. So it's like a totally new digital universe. Today, we are so excited to welcome back to the show, Millie Rowett. If you missed last week's episode, I would highly recommend going back to check it out where we broke down the basics of blockchain technology and cryptocurrency, as well as learned a little bit about how Bitcoin is created and what causes the price to be so damn volatile. On this week's show, Millie, software engineer in the Bitcoin team at Square, 
a name you may recognize after their recent acquisition of Afterpay, is back to help us try and understand what cryptocurrency could actually be used for in the future and whether or not it is a viable long-term investment. Welcome, Millie. Hey, guys. It's really nice that you invited me back. I'm so happy to be here. (gasps) You made the cut. (laughs) (laughs) So, Millie, we're going to start off with a game this morning to really test you. And we're going to list off a bunch of coins and you've got to guess whether they're real or fake. Let me tell you, there's not many coin names that haven't been taken out there, I've realized after a little Google. (laughs) So, first one, Polkadot. That's a real coin. Oh, she knows her stuff. Next one, COVID coin, true or false? Ooh, I feel like someone's had to have made that coin. False. It's false. Oh, really? No. Got you, Ellie. You know, I I don't have much faith in people. I feel like I should have more faith in people now. Next one, Sushi Swap. Yes, that's a real one. Too good. And Cat Coin? I do not know this one, uh, but I do know there is Doge Coin and Shiba Coin and Baby Doge. So (laughs) someone's, someone's got to have made a Cat Coin. Yeah, you're right. That one's true. (laughs) Einstein coin. Ooh, false. That is false. But fun fact, Switzerland actually put Einstein on their smallest coin ever, (laughs) a gold coin, and it's a really hilarious photo with him and his tongue out. Check it out. Was that just an excuse to get that fun fact in there? (laughs) And turtle coin. (laughs) False. These are so hilarious. That one's true to me. It's true. What? I want to buy some turtle coin. I'm sure it's very valuable, Sophie. <laughs> yeah. The final one, gold coin. True, surely. Yeah. Yeah. I like that yeah. one, actually. I like it. It's punny. It's clever. Yeah. yeah. I like that, too. Well done to whoever created gold coin. <laughs> So, Millie, last week we touched on the concept of decentralization and today we want to build on it a little bit further because understanding decentralization helps us to understand some of the use cases for cryptocurrency. So a good place to start is explaining, I guess, how the current monetary system works, not not the cryptocurrency system. So what is the traditional sort of centralized system for money that we have at the moment? Sure. So... And I'll try to give like a short description and I'm, I'm no expert, but, you know, currently and, you know, a lot of this is actually hidden away from us, um, you know, by your bank or, you know, by the app that you use or the website. Um, but all money, all, you know, government issued money that's moved around is actually recorded by your bank and, and can take days to actually clear and, you know, settle. Uh, it's overseen by a lot of entities who know exactly what you do with your money. You know, and God forbid you, you try to move your money overseas and you know end up giving thirty percent of that transaction to the people who moved it for you. So most of us go through life without really thinking about this. You know, we just move our money from place to place. But imagine, you know, you need to take out five thousand dollars from your bank in a day. You know, whatever you pay, need to pay for, and you have to ring and ask them permission to do that. <laughs> or if you want to use your money for gambling or, you know, or weed or, you know, other unsavory things, God, God forbid. Um, you know, this is the equivalent of having to ask your parents for money to buy like sugary treats, right? And and if we think about a bit more like macro, if we think about a bit more globally, like you might interest rates, you know, who are they set by? We trust the Reserve Bank knows what's best for us, but we also trust them in the GFC. And, and what did they do? They went and bailed out a bunch of bankers, by printing a lot of money and devaluating our cash savings. 
So, you know, monetary and economic policies all decided by, you know, mostly white, old white dudes behind closed doors <laughs> of parliament. And, and these processes and institutions have not evolved much in the last thousand years. So you know, I get a bit passionate when I talk about it, but, you know, it's the difference, you know, decentralization and centralization. It's the difference between freedom and control over your own money and, and not. And, you know, in Australia, we're pretty lucky that most of this doesn't affect us too much day to day. But you think about Myanmar or North Korea, like what, what does economic freedom mean to those people? Mm, that's such a good point. I mean, every time I think about centralization, I tend to think of like some institution or organization that does have that element of control. And then when we swap to the other side, which is decentralization, which we'll jump into now, it's like it kind of emits that actor that we're kind of used to, i.e. for us, for me personally, the bank. I'm used to the bank, you know, looking after my money. I don't know where my money would be if I didn't have the bank. <laughs> like, <laughs> And the idea is like you're, you're trading, you know, security for control and power over your money. And it's a hard concept to kind of get your head around that we wouldn't have that kind of control, but potentially it's something in the future. So jumping onto the other side, which is decentralization, what, you know, in your most layman's term definition, what does decentralization in the monetary system mean? Sure. So decentralization, I think maybe it's it's useful to to bring it into like a context with kind of a counter example to, to centralization. And, and, and try to explain some of the problems that, that crypto is trying to solve with decentralization, especially in finance, because there's decentralization of like a lot of things. But um, so you might remember early in this year, there was like the, the GameStop drama where, you know, a bunch of people on Reddit, you know, by doing some quite, you know, intelligent analysis of, of the share, realized that a bunch of hedge fund managers were shorting the GameStop stock. Uh, and if they bought it in bulk, it would drive up the price and force these, you know, Wall Street hedge fund managers to have to buy back at a higher price, uh, which would, you know, really piss them off one, but also potentially financially cri- cripple them if they could get enough people in. Um, and, and they used like platforms like Robinhood, which is a, a US app that lets you invest in, in fractional shares. So in like a dollar worth of shares. Um, but Robinhood actually pulled the stock off their platform. Um, and this was kind of like a, almost like a form of censorship, like they were getting, allegedly, I have to say that, um, <laughs> pressure from it, those same hedge fund managers who invested in Robinhood, as well as the fact that they just couldn't afford to keep selling that stock because so many people were buying it. This is not possible in a decentralized you know, investing platform, for example, because it is not possible to change the rules you know, willy-nilly. Not one, no one person or one entity has that power to you know, remove assets from a platform without wide consensus from the users. It's almost like a true democratic uh, system. You know, every decision or change that's made to the protocol, to the rules, you know, is usually voted on by, you know, either a governing body, which are usually, you know, the people actually working on the program, um, or people with a large amount of that token invested in that platform. Um, So every decision is transparent. There's no backroom deals. It's out in the open. and, And usually everyone can have their input on it. I guess it's just like the transfer of control and decision-making from a centralised entity who has that power that you're talking about, so to the network of people. And I, I guess, it, like you and I, it just makes it, I guess, more fair and less we, – we don't need that trust on that on the government or on the bank. It, it spreads the trust. Exactly. That's a really good way of putting it. Decentralization is kind of this base that we want to understand when we talk about the use cases for cryptocurrency. Let's jump into maybe some of the 
the positive use cases for crypto. One that we read about a lot and we hear about a lot is that cryptocurrencies has the ability to bank the unbanked. Firstly, what does that mean? (laughs) And then secondly, how does crypto facilitate that? Sure. So in in a literal sense, you know, some places around the world, it is actually incredibly hard to get access to a bank account. You know, you literally cash under your mattress kind of places, uh, which you know can be very, very scary and uh, very unsafe. So to have control over your own finances, you know, to not get taken advantage of by these financial institutions that hold a lot of power when you do bank with them, you know, the term goes just beyond not having a bank account, right? Because, you know, even if you do, you might live in a place where your government is overthrown and, and suddenly you don't have access to that bank account. You're or your, your cash is now worthless because of hyperinflation or, you know, all these other forces affecting your government-issued currency um, that you have no control over. Again, it's that control piece. So, you know, crypto and, and specifically like Bitcoin here is kind of, it's like an opt-out of that system. It's an alternative to the traditional system. And, and when I think about like economic empowerment and, and access to financial power, I think of you know, shares, investing, super, yield, you know, investment properties. It's all these things that, you know, we might take for granted as, you know, quite a higher socioeconomic, you know, country. But a lot of the time it costs a lot of upfront capital and, and education to get started with these things. Crypto wallets, you know, they don't charge you monthly fees. You don't need permission to make one. You don't need to be a citizen or have specific papers. You don't even know how to need to know, you know, how to write your name. You don't need to have all these things to, to hold or transfer crypto. And, and you can think about, you know, your cash sitting in your bank account right now, it's actually losing value because of, you know, average rate of inflation is way more than the invisible interest rate we're getting in our savings accounts right now. So you might not be able to afford a house, but you, you know, you can buy, you know, crypto, you can buy a piece of digital art in NFT or a virtual house in, you know, like these metaverse um, these, <laughs> these like blockchain-based worlds, right? Um, and Sorry, you can I will that- never hear the word metaverse again and not just laugh because of because of Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> oh, he's ruined it for everyone. <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts on El Salvador because that is one great example of a country that has adopted Bitcoin as its legal tender. So El Salvador is a really interesting example of a place that its national currency was actually the US dollar. And it's a millennial kind of president, I would say like quite progressive in, in like the their party's thinking and decided like, hey, like we're sick of not having control over what the US does with our currency that we use day to day. There was a like kind of a, a grassroots movement um, in this very um, small place in El Salvador called El Zonte, where people just started using Bitcoin for, you know, marketplaces and cafes and, and restaurants, they started using it like really on their mobile phones, really like naturally. Uh, and it kind of like grew and spread and, and everyone got really interested in this place. of like, hey, actually, this is an alternative to what we've been doing. Um, and in El Salvador, like remittance payments are really big. So people sending money back to their families from the US um, and, you know, Western Union and TransferWise um, take a huge cut of those payments. Uh, not to mention you have to drive or walk or cycle or whatever you've got access to hours to get to a facility that lets you do that. So there's this new technology that helps improve our lives. Like why wouldn't we use it? As well as the country and you know the president decided, well, I want to get ahead of the game here and start using this currency because, well, for rightly or wrongly, 
he thinks it's going to go up and it will actually improve the economic standing of his country. We had a bit of a laugh last week about how one of the first cryptocurrency, or I think maybe Bitcoin transactions, was on a pizza and how overpriced that would have been in today <laughs> today's day, knowing crazy, how it? much the value of Bitcoin has gone up. But I guess that's one thing that confuses me a little bit about places like El Salvador using Bitcoin, because the price is so volatile and also like it's so one Bitcoin has such a high value. So how does it sort of work in reality? So it's, it is quite an interesting, I guess, thought experiment or like discussion that the people have in real time, like as we speak now is like, hey, if, if Bitcoin is so valuable, why would you spend it on a coffee? Um, or, you know, <laughs> like the, ori- the original like white paper that Satoshi Nakamoto um, wrote, you know, described Bitcoin as like a, you know, peer to peer cash system, like a payment system. So, like, there's an argument that Bitcoin is only ever meant to be used as, like, an alternative, like, you know, monetary network, like, to actually pay for goods and services. Uh, It's kind of evolved to this gold 2.0 narrative where it's, like, never use your Bitcoin, never sell your Bitcoin, only hold nothing else. (laughs) Uh, You know, time your hands. (laughs) Buy and hold your investments. Yeah, it's the, the time horizon has like completely blown out. Mm. And it's the same as, you know, your passive investing in ETF. Like the idea is to hold it over a very long period of time. And, um, there's there's a, quite a tension between, you know, the people of who'd say, no, you know, we this needs to be used. Like that's what it was meant to be used as. And to people like, I guess, like this kind of idea of like the rich getting richer by holding, who can afford to hold this asset um, over a long period of time and, and get richer. But I guess people that see the future value of it think that at some point it'll settle. It's just right now it's in this very volatile phase. Mm. But we could speak about this all day, mm-hmm. so maybe we should move on to some of the other positive use cases. There are a lot. There are a lot. There are a lot. <laughs> The second we wanted to touch on was about, I guess, the transparency. We spoke about the blockchain technology last week and we wanted to know what are your thoughts on, you know, whether things like the blockchain technology can solve issues like money laundering if everyone does have access to what's happening on the general ledger or on the report that's that's recording all the transactions. Yeah, I guess my take on this is people will always do bad things with money. You know, whether that be crypto or cash, uh, I guess the good thing about the blockchain is that it's it's open and available for everyone to view and track. So that's that transparency argument. I mean, seriously, you can go to blockchain.com, you know, slash explorer and, and have a look right now at all the Bitcoin transactions happening. Um, uh, <laughs> blockchain, you know, I kind of want to check that out. <laughs> I was going to ask this because every time someone says it's available to everyone, I'm like, yeah, but where? Where can I see it? There you go, <laughs> blockchain.com forward slash explorer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's so many websites that do it. There's, you know, mempool.space, there's Blockstream, there's like it's blowing so my cool. mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool. I mean, it just looks like a bunch of numbers, but you can actually see, like, if you have a Bitcoin wallet, you can type in your address and it shows you all the transactions that have occurred in and out of your wallet, like over ah. forever. I wish it kind of said, like, Millie bought a pizza. Millie bought a car. <laughs> it's just numbers. It's not details. <laughs> I don't want like all my transaction history like on the internet. Thank you. <laughs> I was trying to think of something embarrassing that I bought gonna, that I wouldn't want. Sophie bought like, 10 Millie. margaritas. 
<laughs> well, that would be not that. That wouldn't be that strange. So if if it is all on the internet and we can see it, but it's just numbers, then how do we actually even know if stuff like money laundering is occurring? I, I guess so. There are there are companies that, that specialize in this in in finding out that information. I guess they're called blockchain forensic companies like uh, like chain analysis is one detectives (laughs) pretty much it's it's really cool like i'd love to sit beside them and and work it out because um there was i don't know if you saw like earlier this year one of the big gas pipelines in the u.s uh colonial uh got held to ransom essentially um by a bunch of hackers who demanded bitcoin and (laughs) Uh, they got it, you know, they kind of had to give in demands. Otherwise, like everyone in, you know, um, the US would be really, really cold over the winter. Uh, so they, they gave in, they gave the Bitcoin. It was like, you know, a few million dollars um, of this like you know, rough, shady Russian hacker group. And uh, what actually ended up happening was that the FBI seized a lot of the Bitcoin that they sent because they were able to track the movement of those funds oh, wow. uh, from wallet to wallet until they were, had to cash out in a way. So essentially, like as soon when you're in the Bitcoin ecosystem, it's easy, relatively easy to stay in, like anonymous or pseudonymous. But as soon as you want to, you know, translate that Bitcoin into government currency, you got to use the institution somewhere. There's called on rails and off rails. So as soon as you do that, like it is much easier to track your IP to you know get maybe um, you know your location, uh, lots of other data about you that these. Um, like, you know, digital security teams are really, really good at finding. So, you know, if I was a criminal, I probably wouldn't use a system that is like public by default, you know, cash, <laughs> That'll teach cash crimes still account for like $1 trillion or something ridiculous worth of US dollars. Crypto is about like 50 billion, which is like way, 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 way smaller. So I don't know, people, people are going to be awful, but it's a lot harder to be awful on the blockchain. how much time do we have? There is just, there is so much going on. So there's, so you, you're right. There's every day there are like a bunch of small players. There's all these startups looking, you know, to disrupt 
these these companies who have just like cornered the market um, on like a particular thing. So you know, there's uh, there's one company called Winding Tree, which is like a decentralized travel aggregator. So it's like an alternative to Expedia or Booking.com, ah, which you know cool. they 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 put up the price like a lot, and, and oh. they have such a big chunk of the market that like you don't really have another choice. Um, so this, this like kind of brand new, like using one of their tokens called LIF, like you'd be able to book hotels and stuff with like really, really minimal fees. You might not know this, but like even um, the Australian government, like a couple of years ago, put like high school students ATAR scores on the blockchain so that only you would be able to view your scores like on the internet. Like I think that's just the coolest thing Australia's Whoa. ever done. Um, we always, <laughs> that we've ever done. <laughs> yeah. There's obviously like, you know, the big players looking to discover like what that new era of technology can do for them, like Facebook, mm. uh, Mark Zuckerberg and the metaverse, which is like, you know, decentralized social media. It's like your life, but in the digital realm, you know, aka like Ready Player One-esque kind of world. You know, Amazon, Apple, and Google are kind of like, I'd say like lagging behind a little bit, but like I wouldn't obviously count them out. Uh, payment networks, I know like PayPal is just like looking at like decentralized uh, ways they can move their money around the globe. Like because you can utilize existing blockchains like Ripple or Stellar, which are, you know, kind of alternatives to like Ethereum. Um, and you can also like send Bitcoin around the world really easily. Um, like Twitter just um, opened up Lightning Tips, which is like a way to like give your favorite Twitter celebrities like a bit of Bitcoin or donate, uh-huh. <laughs> but like without without having to integrate like a bank or you know PayPal or yeah, anything wow. like that. You can just instantly send your like Bitcoin from your wallet. One thing that Maddie and I um, have really taken away from some of the chats that we've had with investors is like looking at how some of the big big companies out there like adopt this technology and use it um, to make their companies better in in whichever way. And I think that's a really cool thing to be looking at as an investor to be like, okay, I'm investing in Apple or, you know, whatever other big company that I'm in. Like how are they using this technology and how are they changing so that they're up to date with the trends? To be honest, like if we think of like the fa- you know, the FANG stocks, kind of like you know, Facebook, Apple, Google, um, a lot of them apart from Facebook doesn't they don't seem to be looking into this with gusto at the moment uh mark zuckerberg is probably the person who's made a lot of noise about like uh what we call web 3 which is like the next evolution of the web whereas you know web 1 was all about like static information on page web 2 is like you know users uploading their own information you know social media pictures kind of like that two-way interaction web 3 is all about well what if we take away the centralized entity from you know the web or those products like Facebook and just have decentralized services for everyone to use and be involved in, you know, using tokens as kind of this native currency. So Facebook's really big into that. Twitter, you know, Jack Dorsey is all about this. He wants to decentralize Twitter. Like yesterday, there's something called like the Blue Sky Project um, that they're really into. Um, But a lot of the other, the other big players, like I haven't seen really do anything with this yet mm. but you know all, all behind closed doors they could they could be up to anything 
Even like I, one of the examples that I was reading online that I thought was so cool was like DHL, which is like obviously a postal services company. And they're working with some um, of the big companies at the moment, like Accenture, which is a consulting company to work out systems where they can trace pharmaceuticals using the blockchain systems so that it makes sure that it gets from, you know, the drug company to the right consumer to avoid things like drug tampering or ending up in the wrong people's hands. And I just think that's such a cool use case for this new technology. It doesn't have to be exactly like, oh, we've got these new coins we're using. It's just using that technology to better the company in some way or the other. Yeah. So this is all sounding very positive. I am keen to hear because I know there are some sort of downsides or things to consider when thinking about this technology. One, and we did touch on this a little bit earlier in the episode, it's about making the rich richer. Yeah, and I'll, I'll try to take off my my Bitcoin hat, and I try to be you know real, like realistic about it, not not too bullish all the time, at least. Um, <laughs> and, and especially you know for this question, I I am cynical about all the people I follow on Twitter or like the podcast or the podcasts I listen to are all about like how can I get rich off Bitcoin, and there's not a lot of conversation about like well what are the you know human benefits that we're actually seeing here. So you know the, there's an argument about how all these you know, early crypto investors are like a little bit gatekeepy you know, that um, around the market, the same way like Wall Street kind of gatekeeps, you know, the, the share investment market. So I would argue that like against, you know, all these like crypto millionaires we see popping up, like for every, you know, kind of um, 13 year old kid who, you know, buys five Lamborghinis, um, you know, there, there is like the foundation that crypto is built on is, is all about like open source software, decentralization, you know, personal and financial freedom, you know, all these trustless, permissionless systems. And, you know, it all kind of lends itself to, you know, a system being open to any one of any class in the world. So, you know, there are people who are going to take their profits and they're going to be kind of insufferable with them. Um, but you actually see a lot of, a lot of these, people who got rich in the early early years actually giving back to the community by you know either becoming VC firms investing in crypto startups or some of the open source protocols you know doing podcasts or streams um, discord servers articles books um, they're actually trying to bring people along for the ride rather than you know taking the profits and run uh, and if I would argue that's actually way more accessible than you know some of the investing information, you know, or even the people, like how easy is it to get you know dinner with Warren Buffett as opposed to like, you know, you <laughs> won't know people like <laughs> Nick Carter or Alex Gladstein who are on Twitter, like their DMs are open. You can talk to them um, really easily and apparently they're really nice guys. I'm too nervous to actually say hi, but I, if I, I might one day. Just be like, hey. <laughs> hey, what's up? <laughs> one argument that I've heard about making the rich richer is that to actually mine the Bitcoins, as we spoke about last week, it uh, uses a lot of energy and mm. the people that are actually mining them need to be able to pay for that energy. And I- I'm saying this with I know nothing about this. <laughs> so is that like, is that a legitimate argument mm. or is that something that's, you know, no, anyone can actually access the, the mining technology and can do this for themselves? You're, you're spot on, Sophie. It is really expensive to get up and running with a mining rig because of the energy requirements that are used to secure the blockchain, like by design, it's meant to be energy intensive because that's how the, you know, especially Bitcoin, that's how it gets its security is like you expend all this energy. Uh, therefore, like it must be legitimate because you use this much money 
or this much energy to secure it. So uh, it is not super accessible for people like you and me to get into like, you know, at home mining and unless like, <laughs> unless you, you've got a really cold house and you need like a supercharged heater in the back of your room somewhere uh, because, uh, and you know, you don't want to turn any other light in the house on because you can't because you, all your energy is going to the Bitcoin mining room. And, and that is like one of the criticisms of Bitcoin at the moment is like how accessible is mining and is part of one of the reasons why Square and Jack Dorsey are like, let's build an accessible mining rig. But the like, I guess the, the answers to that is that you can join a mining pool where like you can give as much energy as you can to a you know selection of people to mine Bitcoin and you get like a very small chunk of the profit. Um, you know, my wife was doing it the other week. Uh, she left her computer on for a couple of days. She got like 20 cents or something like that. <laughs> so it's, it's not super profitable. Um, but you can imagine like it is a way to, to give back to the blockchain, uh, to Bitcoin in a way and maybe make a small profit if, if you have like the right configuration set up. And what are people talking about, about the impact of this energy consumption on the environment? Because Sophie and I wrote an article recently for Fashion Journal and we found that Bitcoin currently consumes 0.55% of global energy production, which like if you think about all the other things going on in the world, like that is huge. So I know that a lot of people are critiquing it, sort of saying, look, it's not sustainable because it's got such a bad impact on the environment. Yeah, this is such a uh, common narrative that you'll hear in crypto is that like it uses a lot of energy and it's true. Like it does, that's like how it gets its security, which is, you know, what we just spoke about before. It's part of the design. Uh, And, you know, you probably see other headlines like, you know, boiling the oceans or, you know, Bitcoin uses as much energy as Switzerland. And, you know, this is kind of is where a lot of the negative, you know, feelings towards crypto come from. Especially like, you know, we saw Elon Musk earlier this year kind of like do this backflip where they were accepting Bitcoin for Tesla, but then they're like, oh, no, Tesla's like all about renewable energy, so we can't do that anymore. And I mean, like the, the Bitcoin community is is so aware of this. And, you know, I want to say like it is made up a lot of people like you and me, um, a lot of kind of these people are really environmentally conscious and who want to use renewable energy for mining. Um, you know, even companies... Uh, like Square, <laughs> they're coming up a lot. Even mm-hmm. companies like Square are investing in renewable mining research. Like, how can we? Um, it's like, like be more efficient about mining. How can we move these to places where there is stranded energy? Like where there are these places, you know, hydro plants, volcanoes, you know, ocean currents. Like where are these places where no one's going to be able to use this energy? But we can put Bitcoin mining rigs there and create value from nothing, or well, value from energy, basically. Um, so it's not where we want it to be, but there is actually a study recently done that about 56% of Bitcoin mining is actually renewable energy, which makes it one mm. of the most greenest industries in the world, which is not something you really hear about. Um, and you also don't hear about how Christmas lights every year use way more energy than Bitcoin. So, yeah, <laughs> all like, right, it's coming It's back. all about perspective. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all about perspective. I'm happy for you to talk about the positives of Bitcoin, but don't put Christmas down. (laughs) That's where I draw the line. Found your trigger button. (laughs) I think actually I was reading yesterday that um, Byron Bay is actually getting a new renewable Bitcoin mine and Australia is not leading the way I wouldn't say, but there's a lot of renewable mines coming up. One in Tasmania, there's a hydropower one. There is. I was reading about that too. And I think, 
in my mind, and this is totally just my perspective, but when I think about it, it's like it's this new kind of thing that's coming through and a lot of young people are leading the charge with it. So because we all have such a focus, it's more common that we have a focus on the environment. It's like, how can we change it and how can we manipulate it so that it can be good for the environment as well? Yeah. And and you're totally right. Those, um, I saw a tweet that linked to that Byron Bay article, uh, someone who did not like Bitcoin and who wrote, oh, as if Byron Bay wasn't insufferable enough. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah. And, and that person's probably going to be using Bitcoin themselves in about 10 years. I know. So I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I think that brings us beautifully to the next part of our episode, which is our watch list. Each episode, we have been asking our guests to add a stock, company, news, trend, or industry to our watch list, anything that takes your fancy. And the purpose of this really is to get us thinking outside the box and broaden our horizons in the investing space. Of course, we're not financial advisors and it is just for educational purposes only. But Millie, what are you bringing to the watch list today? Uh, So this is going to be really nerdy, but I attended my first festival in the metaverse on Friday (laughs) in a on an oh app gosh. called Decentraland. I'm not kidding. Um, oh, my God. I saw uh, Paris Hilton was there, Dead Mouse, oh. like Alice in Wonderland. No. Yeah, I'm serious. It was – I can't swear. But Are you it was all like really a little awesome. figure? Yes. Like you little oh. 3D avatars um, and you walk around. <laughs> I was with my friend um, and I, I got a couple of POAP tokens, which are like proof of attendance tokens, which essentially like – Imagine like the ticket stub, like that you would collect, you know, when you go to your concerts and stuff. It's it's an NFT, uh, uh, so it's it. you know kind of like semi unique. Um, it was so it was so trippy, and I'm not saying like you know. What did you do? I <laughs> um, I got, I got up on stage and I my little character was like dancing. <laughs> it was so um, I guess if we're yeah. in lockdown, just go to a festival in the metaverse. <laughs> Absolutely, and like this is the this is the thing that you can do. Like you know, go to go to decentraland, you know, .com or whatever it is. Um, you can make an avatar right now. Like connect your Ethereum wallet, and you can just like hang out. Um, it's kind of it's kind of like Second Life if you ever played wow. that as a kid. It's um, yeah. I'm not saying like you you know. These tokens or whatever will be worth anything, but or you should invest in no, whatever. This but it's, it's like <laughs> you're blowing my mind. <laughs> yeah, no, this is you got to try it because it's 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 like it's so proto, you know, proto what this will be like in the future. But this is the start of the digital, you know, digital universe. The like, what is your life? You got your physical life, and you've got your digital life, and like, how do those things overlap? So, yeah, I'll you tell you what I'm it. imagining. I'm thinking. In my head, it's like Club Penguin. Is it like Club Penguin? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. When they dance. And they're like, so this is what kids are going to be on in the future. Forget Club Penguin. Forget Sims. I mean, rest in peace. It's, it's like these, pla- these things don't need to be replaced, but I'm, I'm very intrigued. So let's please, let's do it. So <laughs> Also, don't just say kids. Like, I feel like it's yes. going to be all of us. <laughs> we'll be on it next week. <laughs> um imagine yeah imagine like the sims but like all your furniture and stuff like follows you from like game to game because it's like it's on the blockchain so it's it's your you own them they belong to you and no one else kind of quite literally love it i wonder if we could have a podcast on the metaverse that would work hosting a podcast millie we'll have to chat after this (laughs) tell us how to set that all up (laughs) we digress 
So final question for you today and for the listeners as well, I guess, what is your general consensus for the future use case of cryptocurrency or, you know, if you, if you want, because we know you're a bit of a Bitcoin advocate, Bitcoin more specifically. Like I, I personally believe that, you know, crypto and like Bitcoin blockchain will become so entrenched and normalized in our life that the majority of people won't even know that you're using it or understand, we'll need to understand how it works. It'll just be like, do you know what happens when you swipe a credit card right now? Like, no, no one really knows or cares, right? It just works. Like that'll kind of be how it all plugs together under the hood. Um, or like the internet, right? Like when you go to a website, you know, do you know what happens to that like thing? It's not, no one really does. So like I believe <laughs> that will further just move like into this digital life using this technology and it'll just become so normalized. Um, I, I do believe that Bitcoin will become like one of the most important financial tools of like the next 50 years. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens when all the Bitcoin is mined like how that changes like the monetary value of that asset. Um, yeah, I, I just know that like, you know, if you get in, you, you get it now, it's kind of like, well, like what can I do with Bitcoin in the meantime? And I also like believe in like this digital versus physical life. Like you can be, you know, I'm nearly in the real life. I'm like, you know, 164 centimeters I'm pretty sure but like in in you know in the metaverse I'm like a basketball player and I'm like <laughs> I know I've got like a cattail or something like and that's like that I have like a different life um online than I do in real life so I think it, that'll be interesting to see as well very very cool well safe to say our minds are blown <laughs> and I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to walk away and really di- digest everything that we've discussed today <laughs> but I think like, is this sky even real <laughs> stop I'm gonna stop right there thank you so much Millie it has been incredibly interesting and a lot of fun at chatting to you so we really appreciate your time over two episodes as well no that's fine I anytime I, I I'm sorry that your your minds are blown I, I just <laughs> you know welcome to the future I guess yeah. <laughs> thank you glad to be here thanks Millie <laughs> No, no, it was really lovely. Thank you for having me. Okay, mind blown number one, but <laughs> number two, you know how on the watch list we say like it's to get us thinking yeah. outside the box and broaden our horizons? <laughs> like this is horizons this is totally got the horizons broadened. <laughs> 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 Like anything from now, I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. fine. Shuck that ATF on there. No worries. <laughs> anyway, will we see any of you on Decentraland is the real question. <laughs> I think we should set aside an afternoon, jump on, and maybe like post about our experience on the Instagram. <laughs> mm, that's a good idea. I like that idea. But as always, if you want any further information, we put a lot of stuff on our Instagram at YIGC podcast. And there is also some great chat going on at the moment in our Facebook group, YIGC investing podcast discussion group. Make sure you jump into the community there, ask your questions, see what people are talking about. It is actually such a great investing resource. And like, and subscribe and leave a review if you're enjoying it, because it helps more people reach us just like you. Thank you so much. Goodbye. You're in good company is a product of Equity Mates Media. 
All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of You're In Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the EquityMates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, EquityMates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 